beginning of fear, the Time Lord was late. He was in trouble. He'd been summoned to the convocation of the Bolivian to account for his actions. His august peers are gathered in a tall tower, a tall city, to hear one of his tall stories. We're going to say he saved the universe again, half one of another to another, running a finger around his stiff collar. It's still where he left it, left it, isn't it? His friend sneered. You've been a junior artifice for three thousand years, and he experienced the universe continued as much as it always had done. Yes, if there's enough to stop him. That if, as if that's enough to stop him, hissed his friend, looking round at the crowd, hollow-collared lords, buzzing the angry wasps, welcome from a nap. Always gets out of punishment by claiming to have scratched existence, scratched existence for the jaws of something or another. And yet, Yakovitz cast his eyes up at the endless universe, twinkling beyond the stars. You don't don't see the stars going out, do you? No doubt he'll claim that was down to him after the revered time lady. They all laughed, little laughs as dry as toast. We're in for a load of nonsense and braggart. Dolico, she continued, she was put out that she'd been disturbed from her hobby of collecting dust. I can't see him getting off so easy this time. They were the time lords of the planet Gallifrey. They are the most powerful creatures ever exist. They were waiting for the Granary to enter, to confess to his crimes. This time he'd gone too far. They were going to stop, put a stop to him. Finally and forever, a hush fell over the room, hush of a guillotine. Since the thermal roll near, a light stabbed down on the stage, and the figure staggered into the beam, pinned there like a butterfly, and Zero Nun left a seat in the front row, striding up to the renegade, and bowed to him with exaggerated courtesy. Have you anything else to say for yourself? Good evening, I said through gritted teeth. I was in trouble. My brain adjusted to the pounding intensity of the bright light. I tried to work out what to say to them. My people allowed me to go wandering the universe, drinking here and there, but occasionally they called me to account for my actions. Normally, when I overstepped the mark for some trifle or another, you recent actions are dangerous to the entire universe, Zero None informed me. Yes, something trivial like that. The crowd seethed. They were hungry. There was a hunger to them. They were both bloodthirsty French. Come now, have you nothing to say for yourself? Her tone was coaxing. She was just speaking to a sulking backward child. That was the exact sound of a thousand time lords leaning forward on their benches, waiting, waiting for me to fall. Well, doctor, the, the nurse pressed, we're offering you a chance to account for the actions. Surely, she baited her trap with honey. Surely, doctor, you can't have meant to put us all in your danger. We allowed you certain freedoms. You can't have intended to repay us with such recklessness. Can you now? Well, I began. I had something to say, of course. I did. It, was, it wasn't what they were expecting. You'll allow me to speak freely? But of course, the zero known smiled. I called it tree. No doubt you have an excellent explanation. After all, I'm sure I vouch for all of us. When I say that we hate to have you wipe you from existence, my own audience nodded so commonly, 
all the time, sharpening their knives. Come now, Doctor, the zero nun prompted. Let's get to the bottom of this together. All right, I told her. I ought to do so. I need to teach you about fear. Fear? She blinked. That got her. Yes, I addressed the Tiana chamber. You see, even the Time Lords are afraid of something. And tonight I'm going to show you what that is. Are you silly company? Of course you are. I'm rather afraid. That's the problem. The peculiar breeze drifted through the fading daylight on the island. Chapter 1. A peculiar breeze drifted through the fading daylight on the island. A strange wind howled around the field, circling like a cat, before settling down. A sheep observed all this. Curiously confirming her worst suspicions, a large blue box pushed its way out of the thin air onto the grass. The ewe shook her head sadly and trotted away. A door in the blue box opened. I stuck out my head. Do you hear that? What the sheep was saying? I said, I'm a doctor, and some people find it hard to believe I'm a time lord on the planet of although I try not to let it show unless there's company around. I was dressed for the carefully... Careful carelessness of my usual t- tumble, a violet tweed and corduroy, a natty little outfit, all held together by a long flowing scarf, in the same way an unreal parcel could be tied up with a string. What was the sheep saying? A pretty, very pretty young woman walked out of the blue box. Her name was Sarah Jane Smith, and she thought a good question, as much as I thought her. While wandering the universe, she'd been a journalist, and her questions had been a common or garden what this meant mean for the working mother variety. These days the questions were more. Often along the lines of why is the tentacle trying to kill us? So he didn't mind asking about talking sheep. Not really. Talking sheep, I say. A man came out of the blue box, blinking hardly. He wore a duffel coat, went into boots, and a look of constant surprise. His name was name was Harry Sullivan. He was a polite boy who spent a reasonable pup sent to reasonable public school before being issued with a laser, medical degree, and sent into the world world to make the best of things. A child at heart is cursed with a hapless enthusiasm, and a vicar's wise putting a protective hand on their best china. Harry's excitable disposition didn't allow him to get many things in life. Certainly he never got over the fact that my little blue box could go anywhere in the universe. He knew it was called a TARDIS, Although a number of rather charming mistake, it looked quaintly like another of those police, old police boxes you used to see on the street corners, vaguely grass, you could travel in time. But he never hid the disappointment. Titus didn't look like a proper spaceship, with rockets and so on. Instead he tried a small bottle on the outside, whilst remaining literally huge on the inside. What did it, why did it do this? Perhaps I suggested, because she's shy. I've taken a few bouncing steps toward the heath. Heather, I was now staring at the beach beneath us. The island looked picturesque enough, but this was something. There was something in the air. I watched the waves sweep across the empty beach. I couldn't help shivering. Didn't she perhaps tell you where we were? Harry prompted dryly. He told me that what you, what you were going to say that. Of course she did. Sarah said. Sarah was wearing a long, flowing print dress and study leather boots. This is not her first trip with me. And um, where are we? We're just off the coast of Scotland, probably the City Isles. Susan gave me 
Sarah gave me a firm nudge from the railroad. The city lines are nowhere near Scotland. Well, they're near enough if you're not from Earth, I announced with a certain distance. Everything seems terribly close. Oh, of course, but Sarah rolled her eyes at Harry. And Harry rolled his back. I could sense I was being mocked and broke into gold green. Why was the TARDIS brought us here? asked Sarah. I'm not sure, I admitted. I put a hand in my eyes and surveyed the, the landscape. Perhaps because of the field. I announced it's a good spot for a picnic. I lend my lend my friends lead my friends a solemn procession in a flat meadow where I brought out a vast tartan blanket. On it I laid out sandwiches and little cake stands and small bowls of trifle. What a spread, marvelled Harry. Where did you find all this? I was keeping it in the pantry for a special occasion. I confess occasionally made it for one of Henry's wives. Really made it for one of Henry's wives. The honeymoon was a disaster. I found, do you know, I've forgotten something. I stopped off back to the TARDIS. Left behind, Harry picked up a sandwich and snarled at it dubiously. Stared at it dubiously. He looks fresh, he sniffed at it. it smells okay too. Sarah scratched the sandwich from, from him and took a bite. Oh, Harry, she laughed. Playful, live a little. Precisely because I want to live a little. I'm being cautious, old girl. Harry Pumpkin adopted a tone that Sarah would never be entirely sure about. You must remember the doctor is an alien. He probably got a special appendix that deals with fruit poisoning. A special appendix, Sarah had found a pork pie. Harry, you're supposed to be a doctor. Well, mumbled Harry. You know what I mean. He nibbled the edges of an egg crest sandwich. The two of them settled back on the blanket, looking up to the perfect late afternoon sky. As he rolled nearby, the two of them stared as feel at peace, relaxed, even drowsy. Good idea, mumbled Harry. You know what, said Sarah, I might take a nap. Good idea, mumbled Harry. We don't normally get to do that. All my travels are doctors. We're so busy shot at tempographied, and we never get the chance for a little nose. Maybe your luck's changed, Harry's voice was a little more. A whisper on the breeze. I feel completely at peace. At that point, something startling happened. And Harry Sullivan sat up. What the devil's that noise? Good news. I bounded back into the meadow. I found my ukulele. After a few minutes of fiendishly strumming, I'd driven Harry away. Down the beach, where he was setting up a game around us. Sarah was lying across my boat, listening to me plucking my ukulele like a Christmas turkey. But you don't know I played, did you? I still don't sure you do. Sarah took a bite out of an apple and considered. Is it a tune? I leaned affronted. It's leaning on a lamppost, a corner of the corner of the street. Really, Doctor? asked Mary Sarah quietly. Oh yes, it's a popular thing during the French Revolution, you know. Gently sat watching Harry fall over the beach while putting down stump. I played on. After a while, Sarah gave me um, one of her pantry looks. Again, to feel like one of her interview subjects. I began to pen Rose in a donation letter, which she finally asked a question. We're not really here for a picnic, are we, Doctor? No, I agreed. Something brought the TARDIS to this place. I don't. I want to know why. Something good? Something evil? She paused and sighed. Is it going to be something evil, isn't it? 
I'll probably agree, just in case. Let's make, not make any sudden moves. Down on the beach, Harry paused in an effort of setting up stumps. He frowned. Harry left intuition and so on up to mothers, sisters and Sarah Jane Smith. But it was definitely something up in the air. He held a distant, heard a distant cry of a cuckoo. There's something else, a distant cry, sound carried in the, on the air. Half the creak of a haunted house door, half the creak of a giant knuckles. Harry shivered and forced a smile. Ready when you are, he called up, he called up to us. So we went and played rounds together on the deserted, deserted beach. Harry had gathered sticks and used them as stumps. They poked up through the sand, reminding me of fingers of a giant skeleton. Despite my enthusiasm, Harry and his cries of bravo, there's something in the air, the sea crashed on the shore, birds called warnings to each other, and the wind tugged at Sarah's hair. I could see her tension. Wasn't really on the game. You're probably trying to work out what was coming next. So it moved far out of sea, a slight underground water glint. She turned to look at it. As she did, she quite missed my best shot. I hit it. Very good, she said dutifully. It went over her, your head. Weren't you, you supposed to catch it? That was the idea, that was the idea old girl, Harry chimed. Tried it. He was so fully eager. Like the games teacher, who wasn't going to last a term. The ball's gone into that field, I said, hoping someone would go, go and get it. Well, you did hit a terribly wrong way, Harry said. Firmly, but politely. Politely, but firmly. I did, didn't I? I said to my fate, I must go and fetch it. I strolled through the field, had my hands in my pockets, trying to whistle away my forebodings. The sun was setting, and taking its time about it too. It was a nice enough island, and a nice enough planet. All I had to do was find a missing ball. I used, I asked a passing scarecrow. Excuse me, sir. I donned my hat. Have you seen my ball? The scarecrow didn't answer. But then again, I didn't expect him to. Something about the poor fellow caught the eye. Caught him my word. My eye. Word. The scarecrow was dressed as a vicar. His tattered black cape flowed in the wind. Homburg hat was pulled down over his turbaned head. Blotches of mould blossomed, ghastly abomination of his eyes, a mouth clutched in his tattered gloves, was missing born. My life is full of so many remarkable coincidences, I barely remarked on them any more. I stuck by this man of straw, preaching to the sparrows. It seemed natural that my bowl had ended up lodged in a prey-hatch's hand. I reached up for the bowl, picked it. Clearly, he did not come free. Somehow, a crow crow, a strong grasp it. I gave a short, performed pull, and still the ball did not come loose. This is both embarrassing and unusual, I admitted. Please, may I have my ball back? The ball left and fell into my hand. I don't thank you, I said, and led it back to the beach. The wind stirred around the straw, straw vicar, tugging it at his vestments. When I looked back, it seemed to, though, the scarecrow's head. Grover Scarecrow's head and turned slightly to watch me. Sarah and Harry looked up as I scruffed my way across the sand towards Sarah and Harry. I got the ball back. Technically, I'm out. I pointed to the field behind them. I've been caught by a Scarecrow. What Scarecrow, not Harry? You can't miss him. Scarecrow just as a vicar. I turned back to look at the field. Or maybe he was a vicar just as a... The field was empty. You played some more rounders. Or rather, Sarah hit the ball a lot. 
and Harry and I scouted, scouted around the dunes. For the way I kept fumbling my catches, Sarah could tell was preoccupied. Mind you, I'm always preoccupied. You keep glancing back at the field, she said. I do, don't I? Don't I? Perhaps it really was a vicar. I know what I saw, Sarah. The square road goes. Don't go wandering off. Not unless they've ever, you've got another appointment. Maybe the farmer came and come and took him away, took him away, suggested Luke. Carrie gave me. I can see my, any crows. Can you? A scarecrow was clearly doing too good a job. Yes, that probably that that was probably it. Sarah and I regarded Harry. I think the light's going. I said eventually. Let's have some trifle. We could hear the cattle screaming, and we tottered up the beach to the meadow. Lovely sound, I said, picking up the pace. There's nothing quite as so urgent as tea. We reached the meadow. We stopped. My pet Nick, Nick was wrecked. Smash plates, broken, teacups, crumbled, crumbled crockery. A tottering pile of sandwiches had been pushed ground, stiff as a glass, floated in a be- in a benched trifle. Chapter 2 I surveyed the brutal routine's picnic. Oh, says Sarah, it's the saddest of oaths. Presumably a herd of cattle. Harry vent- ventured. I ignored him, striding, striding over the still impacted grass stove. Intact grass stove. I turned the kettle off, a cast around for a tin teapot, digging it out of a clod of mud, being flattened. That's poor teapot. Put it down, sadly in the grass. My forgivings about this place are growing. You do not hear about the crows doing that sort of thing. Cows doing that sort of thing, Harry went on. Maybe you saw the colour of your picnic blanket and drove them wild or something. And then they stole then they stole the picnic blanket? Sarah pointed out. The blanket was a demitting. She took it up my arm. I'm sorry. I noticed a pancake pie and pork pie with my shoe. This was not kettle and it was there were tire marks. I found the matchstick remembers. My ukulele and held him dangling in the breeze, like a banshee's wing chime. No league on the lamppost today. I drew, dropped it back to the ground. Somebody's trying to warn us off. This way, Sarah followed the direction of the tracks through a gate. I think it's a bit bigger than a car. We're looking at it for a tractor, wearing a picnic rug. We trudged through the fields. There's something oppressive about the island's emptiness. The fields were huge and barren. Turned up with muddy furrows. The crowds pressed down on us, squashing flat any hedgerows or trees, reducing the landscape to endless brown morass under a bleak heaven. Cinderous, cinderous, I broke the silence. Huh? Even Harry had managed to lose himself in these faults. Your language is capable of little cordy sex. I exclaimed, citrus, a splendid word for describing such a sky, a colour of ash, or spalt, milk, or, or, or nothing. It feels like it's what, waiting to fall. Unless at any moment, suggested Harry. I jammed my hands further into my pockets, and tried a jaunty whistle, which curled up and died in my throat. I could point out it's an optical illusion, but really, I reached a brown gate and a brown hedge, and passed through into another brown field. I can only agree with Harry. Things... 
must be bad. Sarah and Harry trooped obediently after me. Sarah pulled the scrape of mud from the boots of the gate. Aha! My cry attracted her attention. She turned around towards me and stopped. We're not alone in the field. Four scarecrows, I said. I told you there were scarecrows. Yes, but four of them. No crops, Harry was incredulous. That seems like overkill. I could tell Sarah didn't care for scarecrows. Creatures seemed to be surrounding us. Four figures were spaced out in in a loose ring. A tattered dress fluttered from the tall one. The other three was shorter, almost the height of children. Some family outing, she said. Feels like they're watching us. Harry seemed cheerfully unconcerned by them. He bounded up over to one of the child-side ones and started rearranging his bonnet. You don't mind me, surely you, you're, you're asking. You mummies, where are the crops, he asked. Surely it's a bit early for harvest. It's depending, it depends what you're harvesting, I said gently grimly. Sarah looked curiously behind me, and the scarecrow, uh, and the scarecrow strained away, and made it seem like they were moving. It really was uncanny. The unfactored tractor was in the only splash of colour in the farmyard. Even the thin grey light, it was a measly place, broken barns, running down into the tired sheds, all needing for sport against the farmhouse. Couldn't even remember the better days it once known. It thatched roof was boarding, and driftwood shutters banged against the glasses. Glasses windows. Maybe one come to Weathering Heights, exclaimed Sarah, as the boots sank into mud. Harry wrinkled his nose. Wrinkled his nose. It smells terrible. You're too much of a Londoner, Sarah nudged him. The ribs and quilched towards the tractor. Ah, Harry, that's just a good old countryside smell. Harry was dubious, and so was I. The tractor was measly part in the middle of the yard. My picnic blanket was wrapped around one of the wheel, and lay sinking in the mud. I issued a piercing whistle. Hello, is anyone at home? I saw there was a picnic blanket I could borrow. I say, you have a picnic bar I could borrow. The wind continues to whip around the building, so don't sign a knife. The shutters continue to bang. This place looms, remarked Sarah. She's swinging her arms around. If it doesn't, does feel to me rather like a trap, Harry ventured. Of course it's a trap, I hear you open a heavy barn door. You write it out about what, something else, Harry. I am, my voice sank into sculpture. That smell is not right. Something's bad is happening here. Should we go? asked Sarah. Just this once, I shook my head and slipped, in, slipped into the barn. Harry made a fellow, made to follow, but Sarah stopped her tracks, giving out a cry. What? Harry looked at a tiny black bundle on the ground. Oh, it's only a dead bird. It's a dead crow, Harry said. Instead of bird, strange smells more pronounced. I can almost taste it. Sarah was chewing the air. It's a high concentration neutral. Nitrogen compounds, I said, poking around the barn. I wasn't going to elaborate further. Freezing here, said Harry. Went over to an old paraffin heater and fiddled with it. Hopefully I could suppose the barn suppose the barn like this are built to be naturally cool. A shadow moved in the corner to patching itself in a wall and moving towards us. A light fell upon the figure. Sarah flinched. It was a man. His gnarled face, pale, twisted, a thatch of the stubble poked out. His chin, his eyes were wild. He wore a collection of ancient, dirty clothes and moved with a limping gaunt. He was pointing a pitchfork towards us. Get out of here, he said. Thick burr. 
jabbing at us with his fork. This my this is my firm, my won't you? It, you did indeed, I greeted the threat with careful Bernard Kelly kind of you to run over your pic our picnic. Are you trying to warn us away from here? Won't you? Why? Man shoved the fork at me. Where would you care to step outside and talk this through? I offered. I could see he's almost mad with fear. And Varman jabbed the fork at me again. I took half a step back and gestured for my friends to get out of the way. We should go outside, I repeated coaxingly. Catch the sunlight. Offer you a cup of tea. My tea pot is sadly imposed. Varman took another step towards me. Outside, he laughed. There's a man at his laugh, but they're outside. They're coming. Ooh, I asked. Farmer touched his nose with the cannonness of the lunatic. Oh, they've seen you, even if you don't see them. Sarah heard a noise outside, footsteps. She heard, she used her most professional friendly tone. Can you tell me who's outside? We're here to help. Help? The farmer stopped laughing and wiped his eyes. There's no opening us here. We're all dead. An approaching sound grew louder, the squelch of buds and boots of mud, but also ghastly rattling and clattering of bones, the great dicker's wheelbarrow. Too late, I warned you, the farmer said. Did you not, wouldn't listen? And now you're coming. Took a closer look, step closer, lunging on me with his pitchfork. Who? Pressed Sarah. The farmer was about to tell us, but when there was a thud, Gave a loud groan and sunk to the floor. Harry stood behind him, holding a heavy sack. Bullseye, said Harry. So Harry felt an offence, watching me call Harry an idiot. He's only got back from laying the farmer out in the parlour of the farmhouse, clearing his way through empty stout bottles and putting him to rest on the sofa. sofa. You really should have knocked him out. I said, I grumbled all the way here and all the way back. You're threatening me with a pitchfork, Harry, was professing. Protesting, I waved his inconvenient truth away. He was frightening out of his wits. He was gentle handy, not a caveman dump lot money. Also, I ruminated, I'd always have parried his attack with some fancy moves I learned from the musketeers. Do not know that poor farmer is only is our only lead. He's trying to scare us away, but for what? Fair enough, murmured Harry. I'll go and check on the patient. Sarah sat swinging her feet in the air. Chewing a stoke of shawl, she watched Harry duck back inside the farmhouse and turned back to me. You might, you're being hard on Harry. I'm pacing the farmyard, looking for clues in the windy light. I'm not, sh- I am not sure. I prove him shangling in fantastics. It gives out a bad reputation in the country. You thought you were saving your life. Hmm. I was staring at the mud. Footprints, Harry's. Sarah's Charles, yes. So there is something out there, she paused. You're going to say something, aren't you? One of you gave you that last that impression. Oh, I was all I was all innocent. Some of those footsteps have been made by people with two left feet, with shoes of different sizes, or just one shoe. One shoe in a regular indication, like a broomstick. Very odd, an amateur in dramatic society. Just of pirates? Just of terror, Sarah? Place my feet in some of the footsteps hopping. Well one set to the next. I have a theory. It's not a nice one. You're not going to share it with me just yet. And at some point you're going to say you're right. When I do that, I plunge back towards the barn. Sarah stuck out her tongue at me, lit off the fence and splashed behind me. I asserted later how Harry, feeling full of guilt and strange volume, sat in the miserable front room of the farmhouse. He felt his way around the farmer's head, 
It was too much swelling. One thing was curious. The man's limbs are stiff. Harry felt for his pulse. It was, it was there, right? But the more he examined the man, the more he worried a gun. man's hair was dry, brittle. There's something about the hands. Skin was coarse from a life, lying, lifetime of labour. The joints beneath were rigid, fused. When you're conscious, we need to have a talk, old chap, said Harry gravely. Obviously, once I finished apologising, the man stirred, at ho- stirred on the sofa. He his screams creaking and pinging, and his hands shot out, seizing Harry's wrists. Barn, he said. Stay out of the barn. In the barn, Sarah and I were examining the sack. Harry had used as a cotch. It split open and was spread out across the floor. Harry's useful in his way, I admitted. Don't let him hear you, that's, hear you say that. Let him hear that, I said to Harry. I won't. I poked at the sack with a stick. He's useful the same way that he's setting up fire to a house on blocks of chimney. Look at this. So it looks at a grave powder leaking from the sack. A smell revolting nitrates is fertilizer. I said a particular type, really? Don't touch it, I warned. I believe it's homemade. I'll tell you what the rest of you is later. When we're away from here. Are we leaving? I hope so, Sarah. And that's what I think we have company. Septets made footsteps came from outside, a strange brittle striding sound. Making their way around the back of the barn. Harry ran into the barnyard, it was empty. Doctor Sarah he called. I don't suppose any chance you're not in a barn, is there? Door, barn door swung open. Looks like a giant moth, sighed Harry. Of course you're there. He aged in the barn, not liking it one bit. It was deserted. A split sack of fertiliser lay on the ground. A wind whistled and rats scurried on the layloft above his head. I really didn't want to be here, he shivered. Which was when he heard the noise, strange, unnatural footsteps, mixed with something uncanny, like a scrape in a bone, turning in the farmyard. Coming towards the barn, Harry stared at what was coming in horror and disbelief. I must tell you what happened to the farmer. Left behind by Harry, he stirred on the sofa, his body dragging him unwilling for the dreams in which he was thinking. His name was Rory. He could remember just that. Remember that. Just. He was getting worse. At first he thought that he was aching. His limbs was old age rheumatism. But now he knew what it was. One way I was taken... I've seen it take its Harry. Now it's coming for him. We're bringing pain. Self-pity. One way drifted from dream. He smiled desperately to see Peg. Leaning over him. Her tired, handsome butt face. Ready to fill. Tell him. She's baked a whole fruit loaf. Murray opened his eyes. A figure bending over him. Was not well Peggy's clothes. But it was not Peg. Not anymore. He screamed. Stop there, Doctor. Bellowed as late September stage. You are not a fraud, am I? I am. I, I am. I was a picture of innocence. I took a step towards him. A beam of light around me intensified, wincing. I retreated. You shouldn't interrupt me. I was just. I was just a good bit. You weren't even timed for room with the poor unfortunate. The tunnel ground. So how can you know what happened? Quite so, Doctor. The zero nine scrambled. So how can you hardly judge you fairly? If you go around making up your own evidence, she was supported by some very curious modding. That's your objection, I scoffed. We're a race of omniscient observers. We're in trouble forwards in time, backwards in time, sideways in time. Our TARDIS and connections peep inside the heads of those we encounter and translate for us. It's a simple matter to check your records from time to time, but in the blanks, especially if you're, good, you're the good ones. You've got you 
You lot, you need reminding of people on other planets like Earth. Feel life instead of merely looking at it. Here's where Jesus, a beam of light, intensified round my me momentarily. I felt my knees buckling. The zero nun called for a silence. I must admit, I was hoping for better than you. Well, you, Doctor, I'm sure you sincerely wish that we wouldn't have to wipe you from time. Oh, good. I couldn't help looking up, hanging over me, the growing star for never. As a word for Nazarenon, I resistant being betrayed. Time I would always like to remind you, they would take, they were taking your life. A star for never, never. pulse impatiently. Nazarenon followed my gaze. Try not to worry about it, she tried it. But bear in mind, we must have something more substantial from you. You need to be patient, I cautioned her. I told you, you need to understand fear. You need to stand in my way, experiencing the universe. What are my friends? You had advantage both of all history. Nothing is unknown to you. You can appreciate the universe in all its individual moments of splendor. And yet you don't. Everything out there is still the same to you. You made an entity into a pate. Well, I'm going to show you a creature. You look and perceive your existence entirely unique, completely wrong way. Once you understand what you see, you can learn from the scratch man. Chapter 3 The square crows strode into the room, barn. Harry backed away from them, driving into the shadows. You could hear rats scrambling frankly ahead. He heard a distant scream, carried on winds from the farmhouse. The square crows moved in twitching jerks, each one accompanied by a horrific knuckle crack, a bone that made up two heads swung from side to side, straw and twin bone bodies were stiffed into trellos. Some ancient rags, others more recent, suddenly best chapel dupes, housecoats and one dressing wedding dress. As they shuffled up in their heads bopping from side to side, Harry felt a mixture of horror and pity. Previous months he met with all confidence. They were something pathetic about these ramshack creatures as they fouled in ground to halt. They started to make an awful sound, at first awful, because he couldn't put his finger on it. Then awful, because he could. He was sucking up the air, plucking it with whatever mouth they could. And he'd be tearing an old football, a magnet gushing and some bourbon, a sack dribbling more of cob and pumpkin. Harry tucked himself in a corner and watched vainly as the terrible sucking ceased and the nightmare's head slumped forward. Were they slumbering? Slumbering? He wondered if he could sort of pass them to the door, perhaps. He'd get to the walls of the barn. He could. He took a step. The straw matting cushioned his sensible souls. Relieved, he risked, away, risked another step and another. No response. He took another, another. Nothing. Harry grinned. He was going to get away with this. But his next step, he knocked over the old farm's pitchfork. He had no idea how he got in his way. But things always got in Harry's way. He made a hasty grab for the pitchfork and missed. He watched it tump. Making it time to reach around, we landed with a niffin clatter. Heads and scarecrows all snapped up, seeking the sound of the vo- source of sound. Harry died in shadows under an old loft. He did so his scarf dropped down in front of him. For a brief moment, Harry stared up in it, at it, doing his best to boggle. Scarves neatly knitted, stripy scarves, did not at a roll, just dangled down from the veneer. Psst. He looked up above him. him from a trap door, leaning to the hayloft, leaning over him was Sarah and me, seeing that the search heading in his direction. 
Harry grabbed the hold of the scarf and scrambled, kicked and was more hauled up to bed. Lacey Straw, we lay panting. Gosh, said Harry, gosh indeed, I said in a whisper of a whisper. You're trying to get your attention, his Sarah. I thought you were rats, protested Harry. You're not what are those things, Harry? Poor face, scarecrows, obviously, living scarecrows. Beneath us the sounds of stumbling feet, as creatures floored the corner of the barn, twigging, fingers scr- scraping away at the barn walls. Harry peered down. Are they blind? Looked away ahead, had a finger on my lips. Harry joined, joined in a lovely mime, yawn and pillow. They're tired, huh? exclaimed Harry, then dripped his voice at my angry look. They made sense of the creatures, strange with the far-greater movements. They were exhausted. What now? Sarah moaned. Easy, I murmured. We watched quite very quietly. Harry and I nodded, but the great scarecrows beneath us stopped moving. Heads tilted, trying to locate sound. One looked up, but only one seemed to focus for a moment on what me, and then it shuffled away. Scarecrows were all now lurching towards the sacks of fertilizer, descended on one Harry's built. Reaching into it, scooping the powder out with their gloved fingers, they threw the dust into the air and dived into the other sack, tossing the powder until it formed a choking cloud. Scarecrows shuffled back, back and forth through. As creatures became more animate, their movements their stiff. One in the ball ground began to hop from hop to foot to foot, switching a rotten furbella around. Figure capered, disapprovable scarecrow gents, using their bowler hats to scoop up more powder, tipping over themselves and their fellows. Strangely full creatures, caught in the dust, loop broken scarecrows, one leg, one no head, rolling and lovelating in the powder, covering the ground or over all in it, twitching. Crashing a new stumpy stick, legs sprouted, a bulbous jaw head flung from the free trunk stump neck. Is a ghastly servant born. The sight of these grotesque cavorting, the powder rising around them like smoke. I really didn't got, got to see monsters having found. These creatures were huddled around a screen hissing about a secret pan and were dancing, revelling. The scene was a charming, it says it was horrible. When which is when we heard the cries Strange dance stopped, the scarecrows stepping back. We, began, we watched in horror as the farmers dragged him, howling and dragging. The square woman scarecrow we met earlier was dragging him by his wrist. He was followed by three little girl scarecrows, each doing a fumbling, tumbling hot scotch in their petticoats. Please, the man pleaded, please, you can't. There they were, the four scarecrows in the field. They came home. They come home. Harry came to leave. Down from the hayloft, but I grabbed it in his hand. I gripped. There's nothing we could do for the poor man. Not now. The farmer groveled in the dusty dust, whimpering with fear. The scarecrows crowded around him. A female figure holding him down, holding him, pushed him down to the earth. Three little girls gripped him by the shoulders and legs. He screamed, "I don't want this! I, I don't!" Well, please, Peg, don't let me go. Let me go. We need, we need to help him, Doctor. Is serious. Shook my head. I'm afraid it's too late for that. When the gentleman Gregor's dipped down the bowler and scooped up some of the fertilizer, the steps towards the prostate farmer were nimble and graceful. The scarecrow bent over the man. One hand reached down, two fingers creeping the man's mouth, holding it open. The man's screams became guttural, gagging and moaning. The scarecrow tipped the head forward, hat forward, and cascading dust into the farmer's open jaw. The farmer 
going to choke, spitting and chewing at the claggy powder filling his throat. My grip on Sarah and Harry was tightening than ever. Harry leaned towards forward and caught the choking man's eye. He wanted the poor he wanted the poor fellow to know that he wasn't alone. He didn't look away, didn't didn't blink. More powder was tipped in the man's throat off, mixing into foaming mulch. Farmer vivid his limbs convulsing. The scarecrow mother and the daughters stepped back, seemingly observing. Poor men stepped raised their same, and staring at the silent disgust, the gnawed old fingers that they guided him grew, stretching his long, withering bites. Flesh his hand dislocated, far fell away, the bones beneath showing themselves. First the skeleton and bundle twigs. Farmer issued a crowded scream. Then his head snapped back, skin stretched tight over his skull, and bloomed in a mottled old cabbage. A farmer becomes a scarecrow, tired bone, hard as breath. Female crow in dress leaned down and gently held his hand. Farmer stood up, re- testing his limbs of wood and straw. Then he reached out of his palm, of palm. one of the old scarecrows surprisingly placed a paw in it. A family scarecrows turned and walked out of the barn. Two square youngest ones trotted over behind the footsteps of the skip. He marched out to the yard, crossed over the farmhouse, and shut the door. A million figures fouled out after them, dispersing into fields. The last crow, crow banged the door shut behind it. The dust settled behind him. Horrible, God, Sarah. Harry made a scramble down from the loft. What they grabbed at his arm. I had to stop him from killing himself. We went the dust of him. Don't breathe it. He wanted that the last particles of fertilizer drifted down the ground. And when there was help for my scarf, he scrambled. What happened? reminded Harry angrily. Without waiting for a reply, he climbed on. We could have helped him, I was very much afraid we couldn't. I smiled with mercy first. He was already affected. Affected, Harry? Laughed sarcastically. Are you saying it's as there's a scarecrow bias? You must you must call it that. Yes. And yes, Harry liked a um, simple measure. More likely to be engineered DNA sequencing than being me. I said back with him name these. I don't understand, Harry persisted. Why can't anyone why can't, would you want to turn people to scarecrows to create fear? Perhaps it's someone's idea of a joke. But if you're going to experiment with people, this island's a plenty spot. I say plenty of material to play with. Two, you people? Sarah shuddered was strolled over his discarded stack of fertilizer. And the infection is carried in this stuff? Well, no, I considered. I doubt the fertilizer means transmission. It, what if it was, we'd breed in enough particles. Probably conveyed by something old-fashioned that's Dutch. A poor fellow, said Harry. No wonder he was crazed. He lost his whole family, and then they came back for him. Did he say, did he say touch? Yes, I said. Why? Nothing, said Harry. Harry, Sarah poked at the burglars with a stick. And what is this stuff? Why do you need it? You, you saw, Sarah. I said, it's fertilizer. Feed off it. It's an old farmer's secret. Blood, fish, gut, ground, brown into dust, powder. Ugh, said Sarah. Stepping away from the bag. It's very good for geraniums. I told her only. I'm afraid that this made uh is made to a local recipe. What do you mean by that? Harry asked. So he not worked it out and shook her head. No, no. I nodded solemnly. People design have two purposes. One becomes cocos, the other lifted his sack of fertilizer, tipped it out into the ground at foot. Harry turned away. Let's go, he said. I've had enough of this place. He stepped in the farmyard was silent. I loved afternoon was sinking away. There was a chill in the air. What do you know? What do we know? Doctor asked Sarah. I read the question like an old friend. There are more people in this island. 
You must find them and warn them. I grinned, and we, 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 we save them. Chapter Four: Civilization. Oh, Harry and Sarah back to halt. A church, said Sarah. The church squatted on a bleak dump of dirt, track that divides between the barren fields, leading up to it, a small clutch of buildings leading down to the harbour. This is shrieks of gulls carried from the out to sea, giving the building an unsettling air. A church is built for solidarity, and a slate, a sort hunched over the age of neglect, its solid meagre merged, scolded by ever ending wind. Gate tooth gravestones were scattered through the churchyard, so haphazardly it looked as though they'd fallen off the church itself, and some new trees huddled around the back of the shelter. What are you afraid of? His first ever dot novel. Tom Baker's incredible imagination is given free reign. A story so epic is originally intended for big screens. Scratchman is a gripping white knuckled thriller, almost forty years in the making. The Doctor, Harry and Sarah, Jane Smith, arrive on a remote Scottish island, where holidays cut short by the appearance of sp- strange creatures, hideous scrocos, who are praying local revelation. Ireland is living in fear. Doctor vows to save him. As a goes of plan, the time travellers have fallen into a trap. The scratcher is coming for them. With their fate and the universe hanging in the balance, the Doctor must battle an ancient force from another dimension. Who claims to be the devil? Scratcher wants to know what the devil is most afraid of. Doctor's worth foremost are coming out to play. Something to say, of course I did. It just wasn't what they were expecting. You will allow me to speak freely? But of course, the zero nun smiles like a haunted tree. No doubt you'll have an excellent explanation after all. I'm sure I vouch for all of us when I say we'd hate to wipe you from existence. My audience nodded sanctimoniously, all the time sharpening their knives. Come now, Doctor, the Zero Nun prompted. Let's get to the bottom of this together. All right, I told her. But in order to do so, I need to teach you about fear. Fear? She blinked. That got her. Yes. I addressed the entire chamber. You see, even the Time Lords are afraid of something. And tonight... I'm going to show you what that is. Are you sitting comfortably? Mm, Of course you are. And I'm rather afraid. That's the problem. Chapter One. A peculiar breeze drifted through the fading daylight on the island. The strange wind howled around the field, circling like a cat before settling down. A sheep observed all this curiously, confirming her worst suspicions. A large blue box pushed its way out of thin air onto the grass. The ewe shook her head sadly and trotted away. A door in the blue box opened, and I stuck my head out. (laughs) Yes. Did you hear what that sheep was saying? I said. I'm the doctor, and some people find it hard to believe I'm a time lord from the planet Gallifrey, although I try not to let it show, unless there's company around. 
I was dressed with careful carelessness in my usual tumble of velvet tweed and corduroy, a natty little outfit, all held together by a long flowing scarf in the same way that an unreliable parcel can be tied up with string. What was the sheep saying? A very pretty young woman walked out of the blue box. Her name was Sarah Jane Smith, and she adored a good question as much as I adored her. Before wandering the universe, she'd been a journalist, and her questions had been of the communal garden, uh, and what will this mean for the working mother variety? These days, her questions were often along the lines of, why is that tentacle trying to kill us? So she didn't mind asking about talking sheep, not really. Talking sheep? I say. A young man came out of the blue box, blinking heartily. He wore a duffel coat, Wellington boots, and a look of constant surprise. His name was Harry Sullivan. And he was a polite boy who had been sent to a reasonable public school before being issued with a blazer and a medical degree and sent out into the wide world to make the best of things. A child at heart, he was cursed with a hapless enthusiasm that had vicar's wives putting a protective hand on their best china. Harry's excitable disposition didn't allow him to get over many things in life. Certainly, he'd never got over the fact that my little blue box could go anywhere in the universe. He knew that it was called a TARDIS, and that through a rather charming mistake it looked quaintly like those old police boxes he used to see on street corners. He made the grasp that it was in time, but he could never hide his disappointment that the TARDIS didn't look like a proper spaceship with rockets and so on. Instead, it tried to be as small as possible on the outside, while remaining literally huge on the inside. Why did it do this? Perhaps, I suggested, because she's shy. <laughs> a little joke. I had taken a few bouncing steps across the heather and was now staring at the beach beneath us. The island looked picturesque enough, but there was something in the air. I watched the waves sweep across the empty beach and I couldn't help shivering. Did the sheep perhaps tell you where we were? Harry prompted dryly. She told me that you were going to say that. Of course she did. Sarah was wearing a long flowing floral print dress and sturdy leather boots. This was not her first trip with me. And where are we? We're just...